Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Cole Wissinger. Good morning, Cougar fans. An early afternoon game on the East Coast makes for a morning game here in Utah. But the good news is after last week's victory over Idaho State, the Cougs have become bowl eligible and clinched their trip to Hawaii at the end of December, specifically on Christmas Eve. If you don't have plans before... You do now. This week, they hope to keep the momentum going as we near bowl season. The women's soccer team's already in their postseason, and they continued on their run with a 4-0 victory against the Louisville Cardinals. They take on NC State in the Sweet 16 tonight at Southfield. Be there. Today on the show, we're going to take a tour of Amherst, Massachusetts with longtime UMass beat reporter Matt Votor and look back at the Cougs' travel schedule from this year. But before we get to that, let's take a quick look at last week's senior day game that clinched bowl eligibility for BYU. Away from Rango, throws on the in, tipped up, picked off by Austin Lee. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Austin Lee, the senior on senior day scores. After a slow start to the game, that pick six by the senior, Austin Lee, in his last home game at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, opened up the scoring to give BYU a 7 to nothing lead in the first quarter. Zach Wilson took this game to kind of shake the rust off a bit, first game back in a while, but early in the second quarter, he led a long drive, ending with this senior, Micah Simon, running it in from 12 yards out. Hashtag jet sweep to extend the Cougar lead to 14 and to give them their first offensive points. Idaho State picked up a field goal on their next drive, but the Cougars kept the offensive pedal down with two more touchdowns by Sione Finau and the senior Talon Shumway before the halftime whistle. They were aided on that second score by a Kyle Griffiths blocked punt special teams. Coming back from the break, BYU scored on their first possession with a second touchdown by senior Talon Shumway, and Idaho State would only keep the ball for one play when they got it back, long enough for Matt Strzok to throw an interception to Diane Gonwoliku, another senior. I hope you guys are catching the drift of the trends of this game. The seniors had an amazing day on senior night. Just two plays after that pick. Our part-time D-tackle, part-time fullback was given the call. Same alignment, same personnel. Kofensis gives Kyrus. Kyrus with the pile pushing, waiting for the signal. Nothing yet. Now it comes. Touchdown! Kyrus Tonga with a touchdown. The Cougars go up 41-3 with a PAT pending. And flags fly on the celebration. It's not often that a 300-pound lineman gets a rushing touchdown, but I love it when they do. That Kairos Tonga touchdown was the icing on the cake in the Cougars' 42-10 win over the Bengals of Idaho State. Sione Finau led the rushing attack for BYU with 105 yards and a touchdown. Micah Simon added 110 all-purpose yards and a touchdown of his own. Zach Wilson had a slow day in his first game back in a couple months, but it was apparent early that he wasn't going to need to throw the ball all around in order to get this victory, and the win really was the story of the game. Representatives from the Hawaii Bowl were in attendance, and BYU accepted their invitation right after the final whistle. Hopefully Santa's got BYU radio in his sleigh, because Greg Rubel and the team will be broadcasting postseason football on Christmas Eve. The fact that we were able to protect Lavelle's house, you know, um, 
four out of six times. Obviously, you want to go for uh, 100%, but uh, that's something we can aim at next time. But it was nice getting the win against some really good teams, and, and I thought our guys competed well. Our, our players have worked hard, extremely hard all, all season long, and our fans have been loud and strong and loyal, and I appreciate all of them and uh, the, the memories that we had at home here. And it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, t t today was another moment where our guys are going to have a lot of memories that last them a lifetime, and thank you to all the fans that made it possible. BYU opened as 42-point favorites over this week's opponent, the UMass Minutemen. The Minutemen will be hoping to end their disappointing season on somewhat of a high note in this, their final contest of the year. Remember, BYU's got one more game, um, and then the bowl game, too. UMass is just 1-10 in head coach Walt Bell's first season. They've struggled on both sides of the ball and have been plagued by injuries throughout the season. Last week, UMass took a 45-6 defeat at the hands of the previously just one win, Northwestern Wildcats. Northwestern back Evan Hull racked up 220 yards and four scores seven days ago, all by himself. Bilal Ali was the man to lead the UMass Russian attack with 66 yards, and quarterback Randall West went 19-36 for 175 yards through the air. On the season, their offense is only averaging about 290 yards per game, and their defense is even worse. 553 yards a game allowed, which currently ranks dead last. 130th out of 130 in the FBS. Back on their home turf this week, they will look to get things going in a positive direction heading into next year. come back we will take a closer look at amherst massachusetts what to do what to eat while you're there for the game and also the umass minutemen who play there every week don't go anywhere here on the cooper tailgate did you know coach dick mcpherson and tight end milt morris are the two minutemen in the college football hall of fame The Cougars are in New England today, and that is the sound of the UMass fight song, Fight Massachusetts. So let's get to know a little bit more about our fellow independent foe today with Matt Votor. He's covered the Minutemen for 20 years, lived in New England all his life, had a pretty good past 20 years or so as a Patriots fan, I can probably say too. Welcome on to the Cougar Tailgate, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start with that nickname for UMass. How did they get to be the Minutemen? Well, uh, the they were they were the Red Men into the seventies, and they were one of the uh, the first schools to to change their change their name away from a, uh, a Native American mascot. But in mm -hmm. truth, uh, the Minutemen is probably the perfect uh, mascot name for a for for a team in Massachusetts. The Minutemen were the um, the militia in the in, in 1775 that uh, that stood up, stood up against the the British during the battles of Lexington and Concord. They, 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 the line was they, these are these are farmers and craftsmen in in colonial New England that would be ready to go at a minute's notice to to defend the the area. And so um, Massachusetts certainly a cradle of uh, American Revolution history. The Minutemen were were a big part of that. They fought Lexington, Concord, Bunker Hill, the kind of some of the most important battles of the uh, 
of the uh, American Revolution were the Minutemen. So it seems it seems kind of perfect for the State University of Massachusetts. I build that we talk about the history of the team that we're playing, but you never know what kind of history you might learn when you oh, tune into the Cougar Tail. I could give you a lot of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> every field trip for every uh, every kid in Massachusetts is uh, is has every kid's been on a field trip to some place that that. Uh, connected to all of this so i'm a big nerd i could do it for hours that's awesome hey but let's let's focus on that umass history not so great of a season this year but they have a rich history playing college football they've had, a, they've had they were really good in the 90s and into the early 2000s they were really good one double a fcs program and uh that it hasn't really carried over but they, they did uh it's funny in in 1997 under one and under uh under one coach, they they finished the season. I think they they were two and nine Oof. back when you only played eleven games. Mm-hmm. And the following year, in nineteen ninety eight, they were the surprise of one double A football and won the division one double A national championship with with Mark Whipple in his first year as the uh, as the head coach there. And and so that really kind of changed the the trajectory and the culture of UMass football because I, I think people realized that that was that. They could be more in football than they'd been to that point, and and uh, and so that was a, a a significant year, and really it turned them from a, a program that was comfortable just being competitive in New England and the Northeast to to a school that wanted a little bit more out of football. I think you can draw a direct line from that 1998 championship to them eventually at, uh, moving up to the FDS in football. And so let's. Let's go ahead and get to that point. When do they make that transition, um, and what's their history been like as an FBS school going from conference to conference? An FBS school, they've, they've struggled badly. They, uh, they they moved up in 2012 and had back to back. They had back to back one and eleven seasons, um, and they were they started in in the Mid American Conference where they were for four years, um, mm-hmm. and so the the MAC. At the end of that four-year time period, it was UMass and Temple were both football-only members of the MAC, and so at the end of that and they, four-year period, both of those schools play the A10, right, in basketball. They did, yes. Yeah. So, so what happened was Temple ended up getting an all-sports invitation to join the American Athletic Conference, and they and they took it, and so all of a sudden now the MAC has an odd number of teams. And UMass is kind of a geographical outlier in the Northeast compared to most of the schools that are in Ohio and uh, Michigan. And so the MAC to the UMass, you can either move all of your sports into the MAC, which would have been uh, really unfeasible to be if you're, if you're UMass to be sending your, your women's soccer program to Central Michigan for a Tuesday afternoon game. That's just that's not, right. not realistic. Um, so they uh, or the, either do that or leave the MAC for football, and that's that was. So they ended up leaving. UMass has been an independent ever since, and that's um, that's been kind of a. Uh, I think it's been kind of a challenge for them. Um, it's allowed them to play some interesting schedules. It's, it's it, to be that they've played a, a lot of uh, Power Five teams, a lot of uh, of of SEC schools. I think that that's kind of what made them a natural. This made this uh, this four game series between. 
UMass and BYU and a natural as both teams kind of need November games as schools and conferences are, are playing conference games at this time of year. Yeah, BYU fans are certainly familiar with the struggles of the schedule making. Um, what are some right. of the the names that we can associate with UMass football or basketball across the sports? Who are some of the biggest names to come out of the program? Uh, well, for um, in, in football, right, uh, Victor Cruz, was a guy that had a, a short but but a very uh, noteworthy run with the Giants. Um, was is a played football at UMass. Andy Isabella, who's a second round pick rookie for the Arizona Cardinals, played uh, played at UMass. Tajay Sharp, who is on the um, Tajay Sharp, who's on the Titans. Um, there's a few line uh, league. Uh, Elijah Wilkinson from the Broncos played at UMass. Um, Vladimir Ducasse, who's 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 bounced around. Uh, was a UMass guy as well. Basketball-wise, Marcus Camby, unquestionably in the uh, the biggest recent name to have come from UMass. Dr. J. Julius Irving is the biggest all-time. Oh my goodness, name. Dr. J. Yes. Like the Dr. J. went to UMass. The Dr. J. went to UMass. Wow. Yes, he did. And uh, I think for I think for where you guys are located, probably would, would the Avalanche be the closest hockey team. Yeah, I think so. We got a little like Salt Lake Bears, um... right? But closest any closest NHL team. Yeah. Well, Cal well, McCarr, who is an early Rookie of the Year candidate for the Avalanche, who's been t- tremendous um, for the Avalanche so far, uh, is he? Uh, he played two years at UMass. He was the National Player of the Year in, in college last last year and helped lead UMass to the championship game. So the, uh, those guys would, would be. Uh, would be among probably the most notable uh, UMass alumni for uh, for for athletics. For yeah, sure. right on. I mean, the Northeast that makes sense that they got some hockey players coming out of there too. Right. Um, yeah. Regionally up there, I, I'm very familiar with BC. Right. That's a that's a longstanding FBS program. Do you guys have a rivalry there interstate, or what would you say UMass's biggest rival on the football field? It's it's kind of hard to say. For for a long time, it was when they were an FCS program. They had a great rivalry with New Hampshire. A great rival rivalry with Rhode Island. They're kind of, they don't have a natural football rival. I I think uh, with UConn moving to independent, I think UMass and UConn are going to play every year, probably mm. a late November game. I think that's likely to become a rivalry again. It was at one point, and um, UConn moved up to the FBS. Uh, in I think 2009, maybe 2010. Uh, so they were up before. Uh, I'm sorry, rather two, year 2000, they moved up, and I think that they were up much sooner than UMass was, and so that kind of ended that rivalry. But um, I think the fact that UConn is an independent again, UMass is an independent. That's a kind of a natural schedule situation. Don't be surprised for BYU fans to see UConn in your schedule not that far down the road because that that yep. would make sense as well. Um, with with the different independents, so I, I think you UConn and UMass that rivalry probably gets uh, gets rekindled shortly. For all the BYU fans that are making that long trip from Provo all the way to New England to the northeast of America, tell us a little bit about Amherst. Be our tour guide for a second. What's there to see? A, What's there to eat? It's a it's a college town. It's it's definitely a, it's a uh, it's a small college town. Um, if if there's a lot of BYU fans that go, they will they will overrun it because it's it's not a it's not huge. Um, I would say if you're um, if you're if you're looking for something in Amherst, the, the Hangar uh, is a popular sports bar that they'll have a have a lot of the uh, 
a lot of the games on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have they have they have very good chicken wings. Uh, if you're looking <laughs> for pizza by the slice, downtown in in Amherst is a place called Antonio's, which wins like best pizza in the state awards on a fairly regular basis with a lot of a lot of creative uh, a lot of creative toppings and things. You've piqued um, my interest. Yes, <laughs> you know it's, it's it's really good. It it absolutely is. I'm assuming most people are are flying out of into and out of Hartford, which is much closer than Boston. If if people uh, people looked at it ahead of time that that's that's definitely the uh the way to go if, if you are looking to eat near the airport there's an amazing barbecue place called bears barbecue that's right near the airport if if, if anybody is 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 building their trip that way um that i would recommend that very strongly fantastic that's i i love that you focus on food because i'm just i'm always hungry and i think food is just tied really importantly to the sports experience watching it together what about um, in the stadium, what are some of the cool traditions that UMass has, or or what are they going to experience when they get in there? What's the fan section like? It's it's it's. Uh, I think people will be a little disappointed at the crowds in general. I think UMass is one in eleven. I think the weather is supposed to be uh, lousy-ish. You'll have some some students that will have already gone home early for Thanksgiving. My guess is that'll be underwhelming at this point. The stadium has been improved. In the past, you know, in the past five or so years, it still has some it still has some work left to be done. UMass is a really good marching band. That's something they, they take a lot of pride in and yeah. invested a lot in. So it it is worth paying attention to the uh, to the marching band. But uh, as far as a game day experience, UMass football has been lousy for a long time. I think that that's kind of beaten down a lot of the uh, a lot of the the tradition there. So I, I think that that's. Uh, that's something that, that that people will be uh, disappointed. I'm not sure if they have a uh, if they have a home hockey game tonight, which after the game would be something that that's a it's, it's kind of a pretty good stick yeah, around for experience. Yeah, and if uh, and I, I don't think there's uh, I don't think there is much college hockey in Utah. There's definitely some tradition to that, and that will have a, uh, some more atmosphere. So I think the uh, the um, I think tonight's game. If if you'd been here last night on uh, for Friday night. Friday night games are generally better, but tonight's game Saturday not bad. It it doesn't quite have the uh, the students definitely use the Friday night games before going out to the uh, to the bars a little bit more than they do on Saturday. But Saturday games, especially since UMass has gotten good, have been have been good as well. So the last time BYU made the trek out there, though, there was something to see because we were playing in Gillette Stadium. This time yeah. it's it's different. What's been that agreement? Why why were we playing where the Patriots play last time? Uh, they were the, the they were doing some renovation to uh, the field at UMass, and so they built some um, some games. They they built a, a couple of full seasons and some partial some of the bigger games they would play at uh, at Gillette as they improved the stadium. And then it was a matter of you know what what teams could they get that would be willing to uh, to still come to Amherst. Gotcha, and. Of course, speaking of the Patriots, you're right there, and and I imagine you cover them a little bit as well. You got one player that's making um, some noise that BYU fans are going to be very familiar with. How's how's it been getting to know Kyle Vanoy? Kyle's terrific. He's a he is a character. Uh, he's a personality in on on a franchise that sometimes subdues the personalities. He's a no, nah, not a guy. Bill Belichick team. I know. Seriously, um, Kyle's a fun Kyle's a fun guy. He's uh, he's he gets into it. There, there's uh, there's a lot to uh, 
there's a lot to enjoy with, with Kyle. So when Kyle has a good game, those of us, those are sports writers, are happy about it because it means you're probably going to get an entertaining post game interview. All right, and before I let my folks go, I always want to hear what you think is going to happen um, during the game. You're allowed to be a little bit of a homer. Um, <laughs> you have no worries on me being a homer on this one. UMass needs to give up fewer than 35 points to avoid being the worst defense in the history of college bat of college football. Oh my goodness! Statistically, so I don't think they're going to be successful. I think uh, I think BYU is going to push them into a a uh, an unfortunate piece of history right now. UMass has a new coaching staff, a uh, some injuries. Their their roster is thin. I think if I think if BYU fans make have made the track today for to to see their team in Amherst. I think they're going to get to at least enjoy the game because I, I don't I don't think it's going to be much of a game. <laughs> gotcha. And I do want to send you out on a high note. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow, Patriots versus Cowboys? Well, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I, I I'm looking forward to that one. I, Patriots are really good at home. I think the Patriots will win. I would not be surprised if the Cowboys do. Matt Votor is a longtime sports reporter. He's a beat reporter for MassLive.com. Covered the UMass Minutemen for 20 years. Thanks again for coming on the show today, Matt. No problem. Have a good one. When we come back on the Cougar Tailgate, we're going to take a look at the Cougars' history in bowl games. That's coming up next. Outside football, did you know the UMass basketball team went to the Final Four in 1996, coached by John Calipari? Plastic is matter. I'm eligible. to hear that son but i'm already married and byu is eligible too. a little remember the titans for your morning here on the cougar tailgate the cougs are bowl eligible again since bronco mendenhall's first year coaching at byu they've only missed bowl season once and that was that uh 2017 season that we don't really talk about anymore also by happenstance, the season where BYU actually lost to UMass. So uh, I'm kind of scared bringing it up for bringing a curse on the team. But but bowl season, let's talk about it. It's that time of the year almost. BYU is actually the first and so far only team to have accepted their bowl bid. That's because most bowls pit teams of certain conferences against one another. they got to wait for the whole season to end to make their decisions. Take, for example, the Red Box Bowl. Formerly the Emerald Almonds Bowl, the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl, the Foster Farms Bowl. It's, uh, it's the one in San Francisco. Anyway, this West Coast Bowl game pits teams from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Kind of like the worst version of the Rose Bowl. When BYU played there in 2013 against Washington, it was specifically the team that came in sixth in the Pac-12. Or was it the Pac-10 then? Anyway, it, they got assigned to the Fight Hunger Bowl to play a rotating cast of independents like BYU or Navy. So how did we draw the long straw this year with a Hawaii vacation over the holidays? It's an ESPN thing, really. The question is, 
who will we play? Well, it's either a team from the American or Mountain West conferences. Bowl committees now have the option to pick from eligible teams in order to make for compelling matchups or to avoid bowl rematches or to make it easy for the fans to get there. So, since the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors are bowl eligible this year and they're from the Mountain West and they already have a bit of a rivalry with BYU, smart people are assuming that BYU will pretty much have a road game ahead of them on Christmas Eve. It's the only game on the bowl schedule, actually, the day before Christmas. Turns out, not even the Holiday Bowl, which I guess I thought was named after, you know, the holidays would be played close to the holiday. But it's not. It's sometime in that nebulous area between Christmas and New Year's. And BYU would know, too. The Holiday Bowl was pretty much invented to give BYU a bowl game. Uh, I mean, technically, it was the West Coast Conference that needed an official bowl tie-in. But the WCC was owned by BYU the first seven years of the Holiday Bowl's existence. In fact, BYU hasn't been to San Diego, for that game at least, since 1993. Coincidentally, that was the year after the last time we were in Hawaii for a bowl. See how things all come together. Anyway, it's, it's been 26 years since before any of the guys even on our old roster were born since BYU has been in the Holiday Bowl, and yet we still have more than twice as many appearances in that bowl than the next most frequent team. BYU's been to the Holiday Bowl 11 times. Texas has actually trekked over there five times. Now, I said BYU hasn't been to San Diego for that game specifically since 93 because, well, BYU plays in San Diego next week, but there's also been another bowl in that city for a few years. BYU was in the Poinsettia Bowl, the Poinsettia Bowl, Poinsettia Bowl, uh, a couple times during its short 12-year run. They were 2-0, beating the de facto home team, San Diego State, once. That's good juju going on for next week. And then in the final game before they packed up the bowl and put it back in the cupboard, BYU beat Wyoming 24-21. to BYU's bowl history is just all over the place. That's what comes with independence, similar to how the regular season schedule has been all over the place, too. BYU's in the Northeast today, and they've been in Florida in the far Southeast. They've got a game on their schedule in Southern California in the Southwest. So it got us thinking, which college football team racked up the most frequent flyer miles this year? Producer Terry South has the answer, and he will join me on the show when we come back. I'm Cole Wessinger. You're listening to the Cougar Tailgate on BYU Radio. Did you know the Minutemen have produced some great pass catchers over the years? Andy Isabella was drafted in the second round last year, and Victor Cruz was a pro bowler who went undrafted in 2010. tailgate i'm cole Wessinger. the cougs are in massachusetts as we speak actually in the northeastern most point of the college football map amherst massachusetts is the furthest in in that upper right corner of the united states as you can get and the cougars are there they were also in south florida they've got a game against san diego 
they played Washington, but technically Washington came here. We were almost, if it was an away game in Washington and in Seattle this year, we would have been in the four corners of the United States. Even with those three that we had, that is a lot of travel for one team in one year, which got producer Terry and me thinking, which team has traveled the most this season? This, according to the uh, the website that I have here, Hawaii. Hawaii Shocker. has traveled the most. Now, if you go look at their schedule, I was doing this a few minutes ago here. Here we go. Um, they played at Washington, Nevada, Boise State, New Mexico, UNLV. It's all the West Coast. It's, it's all, all over. Well, New Mexico is kind of a, a reach, but everything else is Nevada West. Yes. But still, they've traveled 28,000 miles because everything they do, there's that jump from Hawaii to California, obviously, that length of, which is like, what, four hours or two, three hours? I don't know how long it is. And a couple time zones. And there's multiple time zones, so they have to cover all that distance. Every time they go to do anything, you have that huge distance of water before you hit land. So I guess there's that. That just adds to their total every year. And so. these are all student athletes that have to travel back to Hawaii. Right. Show up to class. Student on athletes. Monday. No, they have their Nevada and Boise State games are both on the road in back to back weeks, if I remember yes, right. Yes, they are. And and I kind of wondered if they would just stay, stay <laughs> and then just do some online classes that week. Probably not. They probably yeah, go back not. home. But yeah, you're basically It'd that save whole on the, week you're traveling. Fair. Yeah. You'd think they'd – well, I guess you'd, you'd work the schedule, whatever the schedule is. But that's uh, – I don't know. That, Scheduling in college football is one of our favorite things to talk about. That would be a downside for me if uh, Hawaii was an option for college. You're like, really? I don't know. Travel-wise, it would be kind of a pain. Yeah. Especially but as the, far as continental United States teams, it seems like BYU's been all over the place. Yes, they have. They've uh, – as we talked about, they played – um, what, Tennessee and then Toledo, that's so Ohio, Florida, Logan. I mean. Yeah, I had to, had to get on a bus all the Logan. way. Logan. <laughs> but, I mean, some of these other ones, it is far away. And, you know, that comes with independence because you're trying to fill a schedule and you're trying to reach out and get to get, get in many different markets too because they want to try to recruit different areas of the country too. So they want to have exposure there. It's uh, It's other independent teams too that I think – are probably at the top of this list. Yeah, so number two is Army. An independent. They the have, Army Black they're, Knights. They're 20,000 miles for the season so far. Which is actually close to Hawaii. Yeah, well, Hawaii is 28, so it's 8,000 miles yeah. difference, but yeah, pretty close. Mm-hmm. Army has played at Michigan. Where's Army located? West Point. Okay. In Maryland? Well, you know, East Coast, so Ish. East Coast. Yes. Uh, you got, they played at Michigan, at Texas San Antonio, uh, let's see, at uh, Western Kentucky University, so Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, I'm trying to decipher the uh, abbreviation. I'm not sure what this one was. Uh, San Jose State, that's a long one for them to fly cross country there. Uh, Air Force, so clear out to Colorado. They, uh, they played UMass. Okay. Did you see the final on that game? Um, yeah. 63 to 7. Something to look forward to. Yay. Um, they are going to play at Hawaii. And that'll So maybe hope, maybe Army will take the lead as they fly from the East Coast to Hawaii to play a football game. And then back. Uh, the third team was San Jose State. 
going from California. They are uh, 16,000 miles on the season. Okay. So they played Arkansas, Air Force, Nevada, at Army. So that's cross country there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at Hawaii. So you got that long trip to Hawaii so far there. So BYU is looking pretty good considering the team's that are traveling to Hawaii on that list, the fact that we haven't had that bolstering ourselves. Now, when we do the calculations for how much you travel, including a bowl game, Mm -hmm. BYU might actually, you know, jump up to second place because turns out we're going to Hawaii. Now, Hawaii during the season, I bet you a Hawaii bowl game is a better proposition for a school rather because during the season you have to show up, play the game, and then fly home. Mm -hmm. And go back to class. Whereas during the bowl game... You're able to show up. There's a whole week. It's kind of fun. You can hang out at the beach maybe a day or two. Whereas with the uh, when you're there during a, the football season, it's more a condensed schedule. When so. it's the bowl game, travel can be fun. Which yeah. is honestly, anytime I travel, it's normal. It's you know business or pleasure. It's right. always been pleasure. I've never actually had to travel for business like these young <laughs> college athletes having to go all over the place. Yeah, people complain about having to to work in Hawaii. Uh-huh. You're like, come on. You get to go to Hawaii. You get to go to Hawaii. The third team on the list is uh, New Mexico State. They have 15,950, and then BYU is the fifth team on the all-travel list who has the best or the most mileage this year. Now, the, the other interesting thing that I would be curious about is how do you fare win-loss-wise when you have to go on the road that often? Mm. Now, is it just a coincidence that a lot of these teams are – not great. I mean, uh, we just mentioned New Mexico I mean, State that just picked up their very first win on the season, right? And that was at home. And they've been basically, to my recollection, bad my entire life. So this is nothing new. It's no. nothing that the schedule is unduly burdening them with. No, and the Army has years where they're better than most, and or better than their Others. past years. They're always kind of. Sometimes they're down, sometimes they're up. Hawaii has good years, bad years. They had that year they went to the the BCS. They hit a BCS game. And, it's uh, the Cole were, Brennan times. So right. Nice. They, they, of course, went and got smacked around that game. But, you know, they had a good season. Um, San Jose State hasn't really been a, a real – World contender beater. and world beater in the Mountain West there. But yeah, all the all the, the so you got Army, BYU and New Mexico State all independents who are having to fly all over the place to find uh opponents, so that's adding up the mileage for them. And then several Mountain West teams. Probably just cuz that conference is spread out. I imagine as we scroll to the bottom, we're going to see the SEC. Yeah, cuz they're all packed down there and they never they're leave. Right there. They never uh, you see all their road games it's just conference. Everyone comes to them. Everyone f- comes into their stadium. Like uh, USC only has 9,000 miles for the season. So, not bad. And that's with the Pac-12 South schedule going against them even. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, the the better the better the team gets, the less they have to travel because the bad teams travel to them. Which is why, again, maybe the bad teams are at the top the, of that list. The win-loss thing you were talking about, like if you travel more, do you lose more games, that kind of thing. In the NFL, if they start crossing time zones, so if you have an East – if I think it's if you have an East Coast team who plays an early West Coast game. Yes. Then their clocks – their body clocks the, – the theory is your body clock is off and so you're not ready to play at that point. Because normal games in the NFL start at 1 o'clock Eastern, but that's 10 o'clock Pacific. Yeah. So if you left I, – I mean 
that's their job, so they don't have to worry about going to class right. on Friday. But they travel out with enough time to kind of get acclimated, I would imagine. So it's it's the, the travel where you cross – so basically east coast to west coast. So if the Giants come play the 49ers or something, there's going to be maybe some – body clock issue where the Giants aren't ready to play, but I mean the Giants haven't been ready to play for quite a while. So also just being on a plane for that long takes it out of me. Right. I have to I go back to the East Coast because that's where my parents are at. I'll be going there next weekend for Thanksgiving. And I just I don't enjoy being on a plane. They've gotten more comfortable. There's yeah, a but... better selection to watch. I I don't have to watch film on my long flights as football players might. I just watch whatever movie they load up into that back of the person in front of me's head rest <laughs> yeah they uh now they're getting to the point where there's like 50 movies in there that oh, you can yeah. pick from we can live stream direct tv right we do all kinds of stuff yeah. i remember so wimbledon i was on a plane from los angeles during wimbledon which is early in the morning for us because right. time zones again that happens in england yes we woke up early to get on the plane wimbledon started so we started watching it at the airport watched it while we were on the plane Watched it in the airport when we got there, but this past Wimbledon, it was the match between Djokovic and Oh, that just went on forever, Kept going on. So eventually we decided, hey, let's just go back to your place. So we got it up on our phones, got on the train. So we watched it on our phones from the train from the airport to my buddy's place here in Salt Lake. And by the time we got there, we still watched the last hour of the match at my buddy's place in Salt Lake. The entire match. You just watched the entire thing as you as flew traveled, and drove and trained air, and everything. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you see the the amount of travel, and you have to remember, like Hawaii is a state school, right? It's owned by the state of Hawaii. It's a universe, you know. It's a it's Hawaii. It's not like a private school, right? So tax dollars are paying for all this travel to fly around, and it's like, are you getting your money's worth out of this? You know. And uh, maybe they are. I don't know. They've had uh, that, especially in that state, they've had a lot of financial, uh, state financial issues, especially with the universities and stuff when it comes to money. Right. And uh, funding a football program that has to fly that much or a basketball or any of these programs is something they have to consider. Because so. we've been talking about BYU going all the way to Massachusetts or going all the way to Florida. We also had that game where they got on a bus and drove to you know, two hours to Logan. Or, the, you know, the when the – I guess they played – like next year, they'll drive to Utah to start the season, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, th- those games are are much easier on the budget when it comes to miles traveled. So, it is uh, it is kind of interesting when you when you end up playing uh, like UMass or one of those types of teams because you usually you don't cross the country to play that often. You try to keep more regional and keep it more local, just because I, I imagine people are more interested if you're playing teams near where you live they right. identify more with those teams a lot of the rivalries better. as i get to talk to the people from each individual school i always ask hey what's your biggest rival and a lot of them even have nicknames for it based on whatever road you travel to get there oh, right. right i remember when we were playing toledo their biggest rival is bowling green mm. the whatever road that is i something or other is the name of that rivalry because it's just right there mm-hmm and that makes sense. You're going to have more because you're recruiting against them and that kind of thing. But uh, I don't know. This is uh, – they've played – this is the third game they played against UMass? Yes. Because UMass came to Provo and then they went to – BYU went there. Now we're going there again. I guess they come back at some point maybe. That's how schedules normally work. Normally work out. So that's interesting. I don't know. It's a uh, – that's a lot. BYU having uh, 15,000 miles. 
since what the first oh, the, the end of beginning of August, right? Or the end of August. That's when the season started. That's a lot of mileage to They're put on. They're frequent flyers. Who gets all those miles? The players don't, do they? Well, the school for the next time they schedule those games. Oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> players can't get that benefit, right? They'd have they'd have an NCAA problem. Nope, <laughs> not going there. That's that's a good place as any to end this little conversation. Thanks again, Terry, for coming with a little preparation. Uh, someone else did the math for us, but we found the website where it tells us how far every college football team has traveled this year. When we come back here on the Cougar Tailgate, we'll wrap things up and get you ready for BYU, UMass. Stay right there. Did you know UMass has appeared in three FCS National Championship games, winning the title in 1998? Welcome back to the Cougar Tailgate. A big thank you goes out today to Matt Votor of MassLive.com for helping us all get to know the Massachusetts Minutemen. We also looked at the Cougs' travel schedule and the wacky history with bowl games. If you missed any of today's show, you can check us out on the podcasts. We're available wherever you get the podcasts, Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Go ahead and like, subscribe, share, download, whatever you're supposed to do with podcasts. We are looking forward to that Hawaii Bowl game in football, but BYU basketball is headed to Hawaii this week for the Maui Invitational. It's a short little three-game bracket over Thanksgiving with some of the big names in college hoops in attendance. BYU's got UCLA Monday night, and and I do mean Monday night. It is a 9.30 tip-off in Utah time, which makes it 11.30 in the Eastern time zone. Go ahead and grab your caffeine before you get ready for that one. But Kansas, Michigan State, Vatek, Georgia, Dayton, and Chaminade are all making a trip to the islands for some Thanksgiving basketball. You can check out all the action here on BYU Radio or online at byuradio.org. And be sure to check BYUCougars.com for the updated schedule, because this is the kind of tournament where who we play and when we play them is all up in the air and dependent on the games. And so if you check out BYUCougars.com, you'll know when to tune in and, and support the Cougs. Women's soccer, also in a little tournament as well, just, you know, the NCAA tournament. It is the Sweet 16 tonight at Southfield with BYU taking on an ACC opponent in NC State. That kicks at 6 p.m. The top half of our bracket has the number one overall seed in the whole tournament. It's Stanford going up against the Penn State Lady Lions. That game starts at 2, so Jen Rockwood and the Cougs are going to know who they would face in the Elite Eight before they start. But, of course, that all depends on a win tonight. And and Cougar Nation, we need your help, too. Showing up at Southfield, you can help. You can support them. 6 p.m. That's the start time. Be there. And that, that about does it for the Cougar Tailgate today. It is always a pleasure spending Saturday afternoon with the fans. Remember, if you have a fan story and you want to share, email us at cougartailgate@gmail.com. gmail.com. We are a production of BYU Radio. My name is Cole Wissinger, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving in the meantime. Go Cougs! Go Cougs!